You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. Welcome, welcome back again here for another week. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. Thank you all for joining us here at Snarky Faith, where we juggle faith with a bit of a snarky gargle, kind of as we try to swallow down faith and theology and religion and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, got to have a little snark in it. Got to put a little spin on that. So I'm excited today. I'm excited today. I'm so excited I can't even say the word excited uh, because I've got this wonderful guest and we're going to sit down and really kind of talk about things that are messy, things that are truthful, things that are real and, and the rawness of following after Jesus, the, the messiness of what it looks like to follow after Jesus because too often our churches have told us, as long as you make Jesus your Lord and Savior, everything in life's going to be great. Jesus will pay your taxes. He'll make sure that your mortgages, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 because none of that's true. So I've got special guest and my new friend that uh, I sit down with later in the show. But speaking about that, I wanted to kind of take that, the, the ethos of that interview and begin to talk really about how we casually BS things. And we casually BS things really, really exceedingly well in the realm of Christianity, especially American Christianity. And, and, and let me give you an example that's outside the realm of Christianity. Okay. So it's going to be in like a little bit of snarky, a little bit of snotty as well too. But we recently had Father's Day. And as most of you know, I am a father four times over. Not the biggest Father's Day guy and advocate, but, you know, it's a bit commercial and blah, 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 all that kind of good stuff. No, but one thing that I noticed this year, especially like looking out over the landscape of social media, was, was that Father's Day was how, like, how ridiculously sanitized things have become, especially when we speak of people on social media. Case in point, case in point. So one of the things I, I, I started hearing the familiar like drumbeat of like, oh, happy Father's Day to the greatest father in the world. You're the greatest dad that ever existed. Oh my gosh, there's never been a dad other than you. And you see kind of this, this thing that rolls out over Facebook, which again, we can't all be the greatest dad in the world, can we? Huh? Huh? No, I'm not nitpicking that fact. But I am nitpicking the fact that we tend to, on these holidays, especially out in public and social media, overhype our situations because we don't want to be honest. We, we don't want to be real on social media. We kind of have to live into the lie that we are projecting. And here's my case in point. I know somebody, I know a family pretty well. I'm not going to say that I'm related to them or not, but I'm also not going to deny it. So I know some people and I know their dad and, and I saw all of these gushing, oh my gosh, the most wonderful father ever. God has blessed us with a man that is just the apex of fatherness and the greatest thing within dads. There's nothing ever greater in this. And I fully well know 
just like a few years ago, this dude like left his family to go live with another woman for two years, abandoned his family. And then when eventually that broke off, he kind of came back. And, and so again, I'm not, this isn't about forgiveness. This again, this is a show called snarky faith, but I, I just wish us as, as humans would just be a little bit more honest and a little bit less full of BS. And especially when it comes to Christianity, we really just need to be honest about our lives and our struggles and, and, and what we go through on a regular basis because I think oftentimes Christianity gets labeled as BS um, from other people or gets labeled as something that is very hypocritical, that is very judgmental, that is very fake, fake holy, fake pious, all this fakeness. And, and I see that because also on top of it, this person I'm talking about, oh, was a pastor. Ooh, yeah. And again, I'm not trying to say like on Father's Day, we need to be like, my dad is a piece of garbage on Father's Day. But I just really want folks to kind of rein it in on like the, the number one is the, the number bestest, the number whateverness. We can just say like, I've got a great dad. I love him. And that's fine. But I just think that we go a little bit, little bit, little bit hyperbolically over the top, except for we all don't think we're speaking hyperbolically. We feel like we're just being honest. Now, I say that to say this as we transition into the Crazy Christian of the Week because, 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 because every week in the Crazy Christian, I bring you the nuttiest, the looniest, and the truest. If that's actually a word, no, really not. And, and <laughs> crazy of Christians this week. And, and the first one, well, before I get to that, we got to run. We got to, I got to run my segment intro. So here we go. Segment intro begins three, two, one, go right now. Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So first off in the Christian crazy, I'm going to, I'm going to give you one thing that it's so crazy that it's real. It's so crazy that it's real. And, and in the end, you're going to be like, oh, it all worked out. Look at this. So let's talk about the Southern Baptist Convention. Let's talk about the Southern Baptist Convention's convention that they were having, where for a dang good while, uh, a resolution had been introduced to the Southern Baptist Convention that was supposed to condemn white supremacy. It was supposed to condemn white supremacy. That's one of those, like, that's one of those, like, kind of, like, easy things to pass, right? Like, it should be an easy thing to pass for the Southern Baptist Convention, the idea that white supremacy is bad, especially within a denomination that has churches of many different colors um, within that. Yeah, but that's not exactly how it went. But again, you got to remember, this was a denomination that began because they were pro-slavery. Yeah, yeah. So we already know off the bat the Southern Baptist Convention is going to have a little bit of an, an issue condemning right off the bat the alt-right. So I'm going to condense this because of time and because I just don't really care to delve too much in this. You can read about it yourself. There's a wonderful article in The Atlantic called A Resolution Condemning White Supremacy Causes Chaos at the Southern Baptist Convention. And oh boy, did it ever. So yes, they, there had been a resolution that had been submitted. And guess what? It didn't look like it was going to go through. Folks didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want to deal with it because they didn't know who it was going to make mad within that group because what? Baptists being racist and bigoted? Shh. Let's not talk about that. That's one of our many closeted wink wink secrets within the Baptist church. And it wasn't until they started getting backlash. It wasn't until they started getting backlash through social media 
that those in leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention had to have a relook at this resolution that was condemning white supremacy. We're living in 2019, and we needed that. Did we really? Did we really need that Southern Baptist Convention? That should have been an easy one. That should have been a walk in the park, but we oftentimes take walks in the parks with our white hoods on. Yeah. Yeah, too much, probably probably a little bit too much. All right, all right, all right. Let's delve into lighter territory. But what I'm trying to say is the end result is we will see the Southern Baptist Convention and say, oh, look at this. They passed something um, outlawing, decrying, speaking out against white supremacy. Mm, but it wasn't so easy. And guess what? I'm also going to tell you, it didn't pass unanimously. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You see, folks, what I'm just trying to say here is Let's all just be honest. Let's be honest in our walk with Jesus or honest in our lives. Let's just walk away from all this BS and be honest because we're still here in the Christian crazy zone here. So I want us all to be honest like Rick Wiles. Rick pops up here on the Christian crazy every once in a while. And, you know, I appreciate Rick for, you know what? I'm going to let Rick speak for himself. I'm going to let Rick go ahead and just be honest, honestly honest. So Rick, go ahead and speak. When you go to your favorite fast food restaurant, you're going to be eating a fake hamburger. You're going to go to the grocery store and buy a pound of fake hamburger or a fake steak, and you won't know that it was grown in some big corporation's laboratory. This is the nightmare world that they're taking us into. They're changing God's creation. Why? Because they want to be God. They want to do exactly what Lucifer did before the flood. It's why God destroyed it. Wait, hold on there, Rick. Um, I appreciate you being honest. I appreciate your honesty, but eating fake meat is why God destroyed the earth in the Old Testament with the flood. I'm, I'm not tracking with you here, but I'll give you a chance. Go ahead and go ahead and explain yourself. He said he regretted that he ever made mankind because they were destroying his creation. The Bible says God is coming back to destroy those who are destroying the earth. So the earth is being destroyed by vegetarian burgers. Oh, the horror! This was prophesied about in Daniel and in Revelation twice about veggie burgers. Seriously bad, God hates them. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. So God is an environmentalist. He takes this very seriously. He created this planet. He created the universe. And he's watching these Luciferians destroy his planet, destroy the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, change human DNA. Why? They want to change human DNA so that you can't be born again. Not exactly tracking you there, Ricky boy. I appreciate your honesty because that was my point. I wanted to talk about us being in our own faith a lot more honest and real with it. You're I, not even really what we can't be born again if you eat vegetarian hamburgers. Oh, my God. It's a Luciferian plot. Oh, my goodness. But listen, this is some of the craziness that we're dealing with, especially with the... All right. The conservative Christians out there who would rather be caught up in weird conspiracy theories about not eating veggie burgers. Because if you eat a veggie burger, you can't be born again. Oh, my goodness. Or we get caught up in the BS like the Southern Baptist Convention that can't just 
take the easy route and go ahead and say, yeah, everyone, yeah, we're all good here, right? Right? White supremacy, bad, bad, right? Let's just go ahead and just do a real quick vote here. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. But what I do want to do is sit down with Keith Houghton, my new friend, who wrote a book. And I think you're going to like Keith. So here we go. Well, today you are in for a treat. I'm sitting here with author Keith Houghton, uh, who recently wrote his memoir, Rambles and Rants. Um, this is, oftentimes when I read Christian memoirs, and I'm just, just being completely honest here, that I, I, I tend to not get very far in them. Uh, because when I'm reading Christian memoirs, oftentimes everything's been sanitized. Uh, it has a nice little happy ending and a moral story to everything, and everything has a nice little neat bow in it. And Keith's memoir is everything but that, uh, and that's why I love it. Um, it is raw, it is honest, and it's hopeful. Um, so, Keith, uh, it is wonderful to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, thank you for reading my book. And it's funny, without me even telling you this beforehand, that's what I wanted the book to be, was um, was just raw and honest and stripped down um, and also hopeful. Mm -hmm. uh, and like you, I, I kind of share that whole, does it have to end with a red bow? Like, you know, does everything have to end with, and then he lived happily ever after. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't know that that's fair for the complexity of, of human life you know, and our journey here. And so that was my intention. In fact, I was praying a lot as I was writing the book. Um, and one of the things that I kept coming back to was I don't want to write this unless I can be absolutely honest. And if that includes like to be continued or I'm still in process or whatever, that's fine because that's, that's where I'm at today. And I think that's where a lot of us are at. Um, so yeah, man, I think, I think we're in the same, same ballpark there, which is, <laughs> and I'll put, a, I'll put on my slight heretic hat right now. Um, because just the, the statement I'm saying, it, probably some people could twist this around, but, but one of the things I feel like people miss about the Bible is in many ways, it's just, it's a collection of stories of people that were rough around the edges of people that, that went through stuff that life didn't make sense. And there's not always a neat story at the end of it, but these are people that were walking and stumbling with God. Um, and, and in many ways, I kind of feel like this, like you talk about in the, in, in your, in your book about how, uh, like the story of Job kind of resonated with you. And I feel like this is, this is yours. I just wish this is like one of these, we could add this to another story of someone who, who journeyed with God, who it didn't fix everything, but you kind of still knew that you were stumbling in a forward direction and that things get better, um, even though they are difficult and they are hard. And, and your book, I feel like you could almost summarize it. Like, it feels like what you've been through and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here was because of this, because of what you've been through and how honest you are about uh, tr dealing with tragedy, dealing with hopelessness, dealing with suicide, dealing with addiction, and Jesus. Um, you know, it, it's one of those kind of things that you mix all those together, um, and it ends up being a rough, I mean, it was, it was a, it's a tough read, mm. but it's a read that constantly was hopeful. You constantly had hopeful strings and threads as you move through it. And so explain to me a little bit, because um, in the book, you kind of have this juxtaposition of your rambles and then your rants. So mm -hmm. explain to me just kind of just the whole, the juxtaposition, or really exp explain to our listeners here um, the interesting way that you kind of put this memoir together. Yeah, um, I don't even know when that came to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, the book's kind of divided into like, um, 
kind of like reflections back on my life, like what I've been through. Um, and then followed each one of those as like a rant, you know, like rant number one, two, three, et cetera, on the previous chapter. Um, and I kind of felt like that was because that's how I talk to people. Like mm-hmm. I'm just in life when I'm sharing a story or talking, um, you know, that I'll incorporate something about my life. And then I go off on these rants. Like I didn't even so much choose the title as it's been kind of bestowed on me by everyone. That's what I do. I rant like uh, I'll talk and then I'll be like, and then this and that, and what do we learn from that? And, and that's kind of was the unique approach I took in the book was here's a photograph of my story. Mm-hmm. And then looking back on that, like, how does that, what do we do now? You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like if a pastor, you know, especially one that you're really dialed into is just being really, um, gosh, just diving into the heart of what the scripture means and sort of kind of sharing that. And then at the end, there's that. So what now? Like, how do we walk that out? And that was kind of my intention with the book was that it'd be like a story part. And then a, so as we leave today and we go out into the real world, so to speak, mm-hmm. what do we do with that? You know, like, how do we? And that's my hope with this book is that even if people are like, and I've heard it already from some people are like, I don't know that I agree a thousand percent with, you know, all of your rants. But, you know, gave me something to think about. That's that's my that's my hope, man. Mm-hmm. People would read it and they'd wrestle with it or engage or at least pause and be like, huh, you know, let me bring that to God or let me share that with a friend. And, you know, is that something that's speaking to my heart right now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's my hope because it's not all monologue. Like, here's everything Keith's been through. Yes, yes. Right. It's like, what do we do is that as a, as a community of believers, non-believers, Jesus freaks, I don't knows. I mean, all of us, like, you know, what do we do to make this place better? Because, I mean, from my vantage point, it, it could use a lot of better. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm with you. And it felt, what, one, one way it actually spoke to me, and it's been something I feel like I've had to work on in my life a lot, um, is being kind to myself, especially when I look back, mm-hmm. um, or really being kind to my younger self. And, and one thing that you do that, that really connected me with your writing in many ways was, was you add in your story... Um, all of like the music and the pop culture that were influencing you at different time periods uh, and things like that too. And I was going like, Oh, I remember, like, I remember this in many ways. It kind of felt, it kind of had like a stand by me feel to it um, uh-huh. as you're, as you're walking through this and why that kind of kept ringing with me was you know, in stand by me, you kind of have this, this character of Gordy who is like Will Wheaton when he's young and it's Richard Dreyfus when he's old. And, and as he's older speaking back, he's kind of has the wiser words um, he's walked back and been able to walk that out. And he kind of is that narrator. And in many ways, it feels like you're speaking, you know, to your younger self as you're writing this. And, and I kept going like, this is something I know I've, I've wrestled with, you know, the stuff I've screwed up with, I've messed up on and learning to be kind, um, to my younger self, because in many ways, you know, a lot of your story is you struggled with being alone a lot too, um, through a lot of this. And you didn't have support systems that, you know, everyone has too. And, and, and being able to, to have you be able to speak, um, speak kindness to yourself and find, you know, what is that thread of hope? What is that thread of silver lining through that? Um, and that's that you're still here, that you're still going, that you still are moving forward. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Now, now Keith, can you give us a little bit? And I don't, I don't why I don't want to ruin the, the, your entire memoir in this, but, but give us just like a bit of a summary or a snapshot of some of what you go through in this, because 
because I'd mentioned earlier that there's there's a lot of tragedy, there's a lot of period of hopelessness, and and there's there's suicide, there's dealing with addiction, there's you know dealing with a lot of these things, and and I feel like those themes speak to people um, that are that are struggling, and I feel like your honesty can speak to people that are struggling through these things too. So can you give us like a I don't know a little snapshot? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's okay thinking about it to open with just the fact that, um, I'm a child of divorce. Um, I think maybe my mom and dad lasted five years, something like that. Um, so there's that, you know, and, and that's already, as so many of us are aware of, you know, um, we're already kind of walking through life with a limp, you know, at that point. Mm -hmm. And then especially if, if, uh, if one of those parents isn't present and, uh, my dad wasn't for the most part, you know, so then you grow up with a whole bunch of, you know, what's my worth? Am I a good guy? Like, you know, where's dad, you know, all of that stuff. And then, um, and then my brother and I lose our mom to suicide. Um, when I'm 14 and, and my brother, Steve is 12, um, which was incredibly, obviously traumatic. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what to do with all that. Um, I, I stuffed a lot of it. I tried to numb it. You know, I, I'm fine. It's okay. You know, nothing to worry about. Um, I forgive my mom, you know, and try just trying to put on that. Like I learned at an early age to kind of pretend everything's okay. You know, mm -hmm. you that front and everyone's like, okay, good. Wow. You're strong. That's, that's amazing. Um, you know, but the truth is, you know, by the time I was in my mid twenties or whatever, I was already getting into abusing different substances, pretty hard, uh, alcohol, man, pot, just the whole, I won't even go into all of it. It's just one thing led to another and I was just destroying myself. Uh, and that's mid twenties. Um, just really feeling hopeless, really like a lot of despair. Um, and then, you know, there's a point where quite honestly, I considered taking my life several times and, um, you know, I don't know how much to unpack right now because the book mm -hmm. kind of brings you on that journey. Um, but it was, it was really through the relentless love. And, and that's the way that I would categorize it. The relentless love of two people who I never thought I'd be friends with who were Christians, <laughs> um, just kind of loving me in the darkest of, 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 of those valleys, uh, with no agenda except just to love. And, you know, I've shared that story before. It's in my book, but I think it's really unfortunate that it's novel, you know, that it's unique. And the people hear that story about the way I was loved by these Christian friends and, you know, some professors that I even had in my, you know, master's program uh, would cry like visibly in class. They'd, they'd cry because the story I told them about these two Christians who loved me when I was so disinterested in Christianity or church or anything and for two years would come over and visit me and hang out with me. And I'd refuse their invitations to church on and on. And I want nothing to do with Jesus, you know, and, and they still kept loving me. And I, you know, I don't know what it was, but that was so not what I was used to as far as my understanding of, of Christianity. Uh, I hate to say this, but every Christian that I had, that had really approached me before that was like, it felt very conditional, you know, like, Hey, come mm -hmm. to church X and get saved and you'll have hope and you'll have, you know, your mom's suicide won't weigh on you anymore. And, you know, you'll be able to turn that frown upside down. And, <laughs> you know, and then quite honestly, when I'd say, no, 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 that's not for me, but thank you. The visits would become less until they weren't there anymore at all. 
And so that was kind of my, my, my attitude was they got a product to sell, you know, Christians only want you to join their little club. And if you don't join, then you're out. And so, you know, I, I just got to say, I was really shocked and surprised that these people would love me for two years when uh, I was not at all anything that looked redemptive or part of their, you know, come to Jesus program. And yet they still, they were still there for me. Um, and that's kind of like when, it, when things began to change for me, um, when hope kind of emerged, like a little tiny sliver of hope or like, um, I don't know, um, a bit of sunlight, I guess, in my dark night, mm-hmm. um, it, it was being loved like that. And, and that's, and that's also what I, I also want to add to this, that you, you do a, a really interesting weaving of, of a critique of critiquing Christianity. Uh, or really like American Christianity, I will say, like more cultural Christianity, as as you also move through your story. And and your story, in many ways, I don't know if you, you've ever read the book uh, Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. And so in many ways, you know, he was a person that was just down and out and had lost this. And it was people that loved him. For him, it was people that loved him back to Christ. And and in many ways, you know, these were people that that just showed you that unconditional love. And And as one... A person I used to know would would put it like one of our jobs as Christians is to kind of be like Jesus with skin on, mm-hmm. um, you know, for us to be Jesus to others and and your friends. I mean, it was I think it was John and Chris. You know, they seem to be people that just loved you unconditionally, that just kept loving you um, with that. And and I think one of the things you say too, I think in the book, in many ways we don't see that enough. Like you were mentioning earlier that you know your story is unique and shouldn't be unique. Yeah. Um, and it's heartbreaking and it's beautiful. I mean, it's heartbreaking that, that, that it is that way, that, 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 that doesn't happen more, but it's also a beautiful story um, to go through that. And one, one thing I wanted to ask you, because, because in many ways, when we talk about like the gospel and God and Jesus, you know, John and Chris were good news to you. When we talk about the good news of the gospel, you know, oftentimes I feel like the church gets obsessed with, with heaven and hell and sin and all this stuff. And none of that sounds like good news. Um, and sometimes good news is is kindness. Sometimes good news is love. Sometimes good news is is being there for you. Um, so as as you as you kind of being that that current person in your book, we'll say like there's the younger you and then there's the current you. What like right now in life, what is what is good news to you? Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> you know. People ask me sometimes um, via Facebook or, you know, a person or just whatever, like, what would you like to see the American church do more of? Mm. If, if you could just synthesize all your rants right now into like kind of one thing, like what's missing? And I really think um, that it's what I call the incarnational love of Jesus. So it's interesting that you just talked about putting flesh on, you know, um, love and grace and, and God, like, like, okay, so what does God look like when he comes here? And I think the thing that strikes me the most is how relentlessly, scandalously, um, subversively loving he is, you know, so God appears here and it's not a bunch of rules and regulations and, and how to become a better, improved version two of you, right? And how to meet other version twos of them and all click together in a little kind of country club thing. 
and I'm sorry, I don't mean to to rant there. Uh, there's a lot going on that's great, you know, in the American church. But one of the things that's been lost is kind of, to me, elemental, which is when Jesus is here, his whole kind of mission keeps revolving around this central proclamation, like, here's the kingdom of God, like, it's here. And here's what it looks like. Would you like to walk with me <laughs> and, and journey with me in this and see what it looks like? And And man, if you just read the Gospels, like, that's what it continues to be. And it's so shocking when we read it. You know, it's um, it's Jesus meeting people and sitting with them and loving them unconditionally, like mm-hmm. with no hook, no agenda. And then in the background, you know, are always these like ultra-religious people who are kind of scoffing and shaking their heads and wagging their fingers, you know, and picking up rocks sometimes to kill them. And, you know, what's he doing? He's sitting with the undecided, you know, the confused, the the doubtful, the the distressed, you know, the the castoffs, you know, the the ragamuffins, as you referred to, you know, from from you know Brendan Manning's great work, and that's who Jesus is. That that's what God turns out to be in flesh. And then His mission is okay. Now, as you go away and as you enter the world, wherever you are, be that, like, be that incarnational love on the freeways, in your workplaces, at school, at your job. Um, and your discourse about politics and sexuality, you know, and, and civil rights and culture, be that. Like, look so shocking and subversive in your love for one another that the religious, religious elite might, might condemn you, you know, might, might be the first to pick up stones to, to throw at you. And I, and I just frankly don't think that there's enough of that, honestly. I think that, I think that we've married ourselves too much to the American dream of comfort and ease and security and everything's going well now. This must be God's blessings. And, you know, I'm all for those things, brother, like hallelujah for prosperity and comfort. And, you know, I could use more of that. But at the same time, I think that we've lost ourselves and pursuing the American dream more than the heart of Jesus, which looked really subversive and looked like this homeless you know, um, shaggy, unwashed, you know, scoundrel <laughs> kind of wandering around and shocking everybody by how much he loved people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned from John and Chris, you know, that the two friends, John and his wife, Kristen, is that love looks risky, love looks subversive. I mean, they themselves would go back to their church and talk about this kid, Keith, that they're trying to reach. And, and you know, John told me later, you know, I had several brothers kind of push back a little bit and say, you know, maybe you just did your part and it's time to, you know, let him go to the world, so to speak. Yeah, a typical response, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And John said, no, 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 no. I, I feel like I'm just supposed to keep loving on this kid. Like, you know, I'm, I don't know what the end of the story is, but I feel like I'm supposed to keep visiting Keith and loving him and just letting him know that no matter how much he doubts or how much he despairs, that there's still hope. And so early on in my journey, brother, I just promised God that if he gave me a heart for reaching people, that that's what I would do is just try to reach people wherever they're at right now and just say there is hope, that there's always going to be hope because the God of hope loves you so much that his love is literally undying for you. And man, I just like to see more of that in the American church, like less marrying ourselves to political powers and cultural influence and, you know, how many visitors we have this weekend, you know, at mm-hmm. Cool Church X. And just are we becoming more like Christ and are we willing to risk 
our time and our money and our status and our popularity and our prestige to love people like he loves us. There's that. That's a rant. <laughs> no, no, that's a good rant. It's a beautiful rant because I was, I mean, one of the things that that I've learned and and I always kind of find kinship when I when I feel like I bump into others that have kind of learned the truth too, that that life is messy and life with Jesus is still life, so it's messy. Um and that I know you mentioned this in, in the book oftentimes where we end up kind of um in the American church, oftentimes we we've learned how to advertise and package Jesus in a way that you know, if you have Jesus, everything will be fixed. Um, you know, j- yeah. And so, and we do this in a way where, where I think we, we've shied away from the hard questions. We've shied away from the messiness and the wrestling and people being messy because we are, we, I mean, even those that act like they're not messy. Oh my gosh, they are so messy. They just learn how to fake it. And, <laughs> Preach. and yeah. And I love, I love how you say this in the book. You say like mystery is okay unpredictability is okay. Challenging the status quo is okay. Changing the routine, disrupting the pattern, embracing the unexpected, all of these things are okay. In fact, they may, they might be essential now more than ever. And, and I think that that's one of the things that we've lost is the messiness of the gospel, um, is the messiness that, that, yeah, I think our churches need to not look like they're polished um, per stage productions that end and start at a certain time. I think it needs to look like a community of people that, say, life is hard. Um, Let's do this together. (laughs) Let's go try to make the world better together in tangible ways that, you know, the gospel isn't words, it's actions. Mm. Um, And and I feel like that we've gotten too caught up in in the easiness um, of life. And in your, through your memoirs and through your journey, I was going to ask you a few just questions. Um, So you can kind of just give us a snapshot and also kind of, I don't know, I I I think speak to us too. So what through all of this, you, you've, you've dealt with a lot of tragedy, a lot of heartache, and a lot of hardships. What, what, what have you learned through all of this about grief? Um, honestly, that it's, it's kind of like what you just talked about. It's messy. You know, um, you know, it's fascinating, brother. Even with grief, we want to have, like, really clearly um, delineated stages. You know, it's, it's almost like we want to have like a very predictable um, formula for how you process it. Yeah. You know, all the mystery stripped away and then there's these five stages and you'll go through them, you know, and then you'll be fine. And I think that's just as erroneous as the idea that we can approach God with formulas or, or blueprints, you know, like everything's been, um, all the mystery and all the relational aspect aspects of it get, get ripped away when it's just a plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that we're drawn to that stuff is because it seems manageable, you know, like, okay, if I just do a God does B that equals C like, okay, I get that. That sign me up. Well, what's missing from that is, is a relational God. And in my grief, a relational community, Mm-hmm. So if I had just been able to process all these things by myself, then I, I wouldn't have needed people to be there for me and just say, I love you and I'm here with you. And sometimes that, that's really all I needed, you know, in my grief was someone just sitting there just saying, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know why this happened. Uh, there is no easy formula. I'm just sorry. And I love you. And as long as you walk through this valley, Keith, I'm going to be there with you. 
And I, and I think there's something about that that sort of mirrors and echoes the promise of God. Not that, you know, once you sign up and you accept him, everything works out well, because if you read my story, um, it doesn't, in fact, after Christ, that's when some of the really <laughs> hardcore stuff happens, you know? And I'm like, wait a second, man, I was tithing. I was going to church. I was meeting up, you know, I was doing all these things and checking off all these boxes. And so how did all this happen to me, right? How did the suffering, in, you know, increase? And it's because that's life. And because we aren't promised that those things won't happen. And in fact, what we're promised is much different and it's much messier. It's much more mysterious, but it's much more beautiful. And that's that the God that created this entire universe and is in charge and control of all things is with us in all that pain, in all that grief, in all that mystery. I mean, that's what that's what so much of this is about. And it allows us to dialogue and wrestle through stuff that doesn't have easy solutions or pat answers or, you know, bumper sticker cliches. It invites us into the messiness. And then it says, hey, you might not know what to say right now. You might not need to quote a verse. <laughs> you, you might not need to point them in the you know, direction of the nearest church. You might just be able to sit there with that person, put your arms around them and say, this is what love looks like. Mm. And I, I think that's what I learned so much in my grief is that it is messy. It's totally unpredictable. And even today, you know, like I wrote about, I, I wish I could say everything's fine. And I don't look back on that landscape and, and still get emotional or cry about it or depressed. That'd be rad. That's not where I'm at right now. There's still times, especially on Father's Day, you know, different holidays, Christmas time, the holidays where I'm, I, I look back on my losses and I, and I, I'm still jacked up, you know, and, but that doesn't negate the hope. In fact, I think that makes the hope brighter is that I can still be in process and God loves me and loves all of us messy in process people right now not knowing the answer, not being able to figure out what comes tomorrow. But that day, that's where faith intersects our lives, you know, in that, in that great unknown. And, and I think there's something about grief that although we don't want it at all, and I wish it wasn't a part of my story, those are the times I feel like I've encountered God and I've, and I've learned that my heart can beat in time with his more than even like the greatest, you know, meadows or, or you know, those sunlit mountaintops. I mean, it's in the valleys that I've that I've encountered him in, in really radically surprising ways. Well, I, I also feel like that if we're human, um, at some point we'll experience grief. Um, it's just built into to to the existence that we have. And I remember back in times where I've been in, in deep grief, and and like the way you were describing this, I what actually angered me the most was easy pad answers that people would try to give you, like "aw." you know, it'll just get better, you know, oh, yeah, you know, just, 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 just pray, just pray and give all your worries to the Lord. Oh, okay, really, that, that's helping with my deep grief right now. Yes, that's, oh, gosh, why didn't I think of that? But sometimes just the nature of having someone just to be there makes all the difference in the world, um, mm -hmm. whether they even say something or not, but just that you know that they're there. Because, yeah, the, the easy answers in, when I was in those dark places just really angered me. They made me more angry than anything, and I feel like that they were they were counterproductive. And, and most of those easy pat answers came from people that were paid to work for churches, um, you know, had seminary degrees and all that other kind of stuff, too, because, because again, I think that in many ways, um, seminaries teach churches to make things as, as, as uh, clean and um, unmessy as possible. Um, mm. 
and and you were touching on this and you talked about grief what 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 have you learned about hope and you started mentioning a little more about hope i was going to hop on that hope train and have you talk a little more about that hop on the hope train yeah um yeah i've learned that that for me the the hope shows up in surprising ways mm. um you know it, some of my hope has come right in the middle of me with my head down and I'll just be really real, like sobbing so hard that my tears are, you know, hitting the carpet. Like I can watch them fall off my face, hit the carpet, and I'm catching my breath wondering literally like, you know, if I keep crying, can I, you know, can I die? Like, you know, could you sob so much that your heart stops or something? Like, I mean, those are the places, you know, that I've been to and that I know that someone out there listening right now has been to or, or is in. And it's just like God, it's just like him um, to bring hope in like the most unexpected times and in the most unexpected ways. And, and yet it's still a process. And that's what's cool too, is it's not, so I discovered hope and it's never left me every day. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's, you know, stand up in church and they're clapping and, oh yeah. Hey, so all you did was read these five verses and you, right? No, 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 no. I mean, tomorrow I might, I might spin out again, you know? And, and that's, what's so cool about, about your program and, and, you know, all the different ways that we use media now, you know, to connect people is that it, it's built into us, brother, that we like need people, you know, that tomorrow I might be totally spun out, stuffed under the bus. And I might need a brother at work to put his arm around me and be like, Hey bro, look at me, you know, how you doing? Like that's, that's the hope. It shows up in, in all these crazy ways that have nothing to do with formulas or programs or like equations or all the ways that we want to mitigate hurt and pain. It's found in those moments, man, when I'm just, I'm at the end of my rope and I look and I go, please, God, please give me just some glimpse of you today. Like some kind of tangible evidence that you're here with me right now. And then I might get a text or I might hear a song or a friend might call or knock on my door. I mean, however that looks, that's the incarnational part of it that I was talking about. It's, it's God is so great that, that, you know, after Jesus leaves, he's like, now the really cool stuff happens. And this is a part we've forgotten about so much. I think now the really great stuff happens. You get to be me. Like you get to be love to all the people in your life that are hurting, that are suffering, not with pat answers, not with easy to quote verses, you know, and, and I'm not negating, by the way, the fact that we can quote a verse and pray for a brother or sister. I mean, absolutely. But I'm afraid that we're too familiar with that and not and not curious enough about what you've been referring to, which is just stepping into the messy. I don't know. unpredictability-ness of all of it. Mm-hmm. And that's those have been like some of the greatest moments of hope for me is people showing up unexpected when I felt like I didn't even have my act together, let alone you know, at that moment, even think things would get better. I mean, my book is testament to that. I I tried to write it, as you know, from this really like, okay, that's how it felt then mode, not, but that's okay because I I didn't, I didn't ever want to do that. I, I wanted to put my heartbreak and my suffering and my struggles on that page at the moment I felt them and then not negate them in the next chapter by being like, that's okay. Because as it turns out, wink, wink, but just, there is hope. There's absolute hope. It, it totally conquers the darkness. I'm positive of it. Um, cause I know that in my own life, 
God has been faithful to meet me when I swear to you, brother, my foot was like one step off of the abyss. <laughs> he shows up right then at that last final moment and says, hold on. <laughs> I just want to give you these words. And then you, then you can decide whether or not you want to jump, you know? Mm-hmm. And, or as you put it in the book, I like this too. Uh, you said healing and hope are an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is, it, it is in so many ways. And, and I feel like in order for people to be able to step into the messiness, you also have to learn how to own your own messiness. Um, in many ways, because, you know, if, if I'm not willing to deal with my own crap, if I'm not willing to, to be honest with my own self, how can I be honest with other people? Um, and in many ways, I've always felt like the, today, I feel like the church talks too much about the gospel. And, and one thing I feel like I've learned is you'll never understand the gospel until you just start walking it out. Um, you know, it's not an intellectual exercise. You know, it's, it's not, it's not something that we just philosophize or, uh, theologize about, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of have to own your own mess uh, and walk with it because, because like you had said, healing and hope are an ongoing process. You know, I don't have it figured out. I'm still messed up, but hey, let's walk together and maybe, maybe um, we can help each other be a little bit less messed up. Um, and hopefully that, um, knowing that there's that solidarity in that community, it also tells us, hey, tomorrow may be better than, yeah. than today. And Sometimes it is just incremental change, and sometimes it's just getting to that next day, and sometimes it's just taking that next step. Um, and one thing, then, I, I wanted to ask before we kind of close this out today. Um, you mentioned in the book when uh, you'd, bought, you'd bought your brother Steve a Bible, mm. and Steve asks you questions, lots and lots of questions. Um, and questions are something that's beautiful. It's something I've always thought that God loves good questions. And I wanted to ask you, what questions are you wrestling with right now? Mm. Wow. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> um, you know, I think some of the questions um, that I still wrestle with and am wrestling with right now, um, you know, what does it mean that God is good? Right? Like, I mean, it's really important to understand what, what we mean by the word good there. And people keep telling me, you know, God's going to bless you and, you know, God loves you. And, um, you know, what does that look like? I mean, because, you know, for me, um, I used to think that meant in the infancy of my journey with Jesus that kind of all of those doubts and all of those fears and all those worries would be erased. You know, that somehow the further in you got on this journey, the less you worried or wrestled. (laughs) <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Really what I thought, you know? Um, and so I find myself now in a different place in my life where I'm learning to be comfortable with that stuff. And I want to understand more that, that God's goodness, his love and his blessing for me, for all of us, um, isn't dependent on whether or not our doubts or our fears or our worries go away, but has everything to do with just what it means to walk with him and, and to learn from him. Because that was always the invitation, you know, and, it, and it's the invitation today. You know, um, if you don't mind, I, I'd, I'd like to share just mm-hmm. a passage um, in the Bible that I was reading that kind of sums up to me what it means to even walk with Jesus. It's from um, Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. And this is Matthew uh, 11, 28 through 30. And these are Jesus's words, and I love them. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion? 
Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I just absolutely love mm-hmm. the way that Peterson translated that, because that's the heart of, of the good news, is we can learn to walk with Jesus and be free. And... um we can learn to walk with him and still go, wait, what happens next? Uh, I don't don't get that thing you just said. (laughs) You know, what does it mean to, um, what does it mean to kind of rebel a bit against what maybe some of mainstream American evangelical Christianity would have me believe? Like, can I press back against some of that loud, like dominant narrative and, and even risk, you know, the thumbs down, so to speak on social media or people, um, just saying, Whoa, bro, are you getting liberal? Are you kind of don't backslide now? I mean, there's, there's so much pressure that sometimes comes from within the church itself. Am I willing to risk the kind of persecution or the, you know, the side-eyed glances or the snickers that Jesus endured? Cause that's the thing, brother, that we always got to remember is that when the rocks were thrown, when the hate was there for him, when, People were kind of like, I don't know about this Jesus character. It was always in relation to him being so scandalously loving and subversive that people were like, wait a second, he must not be God in the flesh because God wouldn't love like this. God wouldn't say those things. God wouldn't break this rule. God wouldn't have these doubts. He wouldn't right. He wouldn't be sobbing in a in a garden, right? Worried about the crucifixion. He wouldn't be raising his voice to the religious elite. He would be minding his P's and Q's and everything would be tidy and neat, right? That's always been the, mm-hmm. the dominant challenge, especially in Western Christianity, is how do we understand this suffering servant that's so relentless and real and honest? Like, how do we follow that God? And um, so that's some of the stuff I think that I'm wrestling with today is, is how do I walk that out in the middle of my own ongoing battles, you know, still today with anxiety or depression or grief, you know? Um, can I come to God freely with all that stuff? It, does he welcome me like that? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess if I have a great hope, it's that churches are becoming, I, I really do believe it's my hope at least the American church is slightly turning more towards that paradigm mm-hmm. and, and there's more permission now. And I think a lot of it has to do with the millennials. I think a lot of it has to do with those who classify as nuns, you know, no religious mm-hmm. affiliation. I think the coolest thing about them is that they are like relentlessly hypersensitive to gimmicks and slogans and like hooks and agendas. And then their demand on the American church right now is that we walk out what we say we profess. So we can go up there and we can have like the most cool hipster haircut and jeans and, you know, uh, flashing lights and fog machines and cool edgy graphics on the screens but if we're not actually walking that out intentionally, it means nothing to these people, nothing. And, and until we start embracing more of what it means to be incarnationally loving, we're going to keep losing, brother, all of the nuns, all of the millennials, and those numbers will keep growing. And so that's my great hope today is that, is, is, is that we'll stop right where we're at, we'll pause, and we'll say, what does it mean to actually live out the message that we're preaching from this pulpit? Like to get down there with everyone and live this out. And, and the radically messy, confusing, unpredictable, 
relationality of life with fellow human beings. And um, that's like literally one of the greatest hopes of my book is that people would read it and they'd come away with that, that like, hmm, like if, if, if it's even, hmm, <laughs> I'm totally happy, brother. So, so Keith, if people want to find you and find your book, how do they do that? How would you recommend them find you, stalk you on the internet? <laughs> I think, I think good stalking uh, can take place on either Facebook or Instagram. Okay. Um, you could just look up Keith Houghton and it's going to direct you to both of those places. Um, if you want to look more into my book, um, <clears throat> you can just type in rambles and rants on Amazon. Um, and you'll come up with either the Kindle edition or the print. Um, I think Amazon's even running now, like some kind of crazy sell on those where it's like 99 cents for the, the ebook, which is rad and like six bucks or something for the printed paperback. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, at the very least, I'd love just to meet you and talk to you more on, on social media. Um, those have literally been some of my favorite things that that's happened is people approaching me and talking to me and sending me messages about, Hey, me too. Like, mm-hmm. wait, you can still wrestle with that stuff and you can go through this and, and, and still be a Jesus follower or, or even cooler for me is people who have admittedly told me that they don't know at all about this Jesus character, but something in my story made them think, huh? Like maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about him, right? Like maybe there's more to Jesus than the American church gets wrong. Right. Um, and so, man, I'd love just to dialogue with people and just get to know people and, and hear their stories because kind of, as you pointed out earlier, um, you know, you've been through stuff. We've all been through stuff. We all have stories and they're all valid. And, um, that's what I'd like to see more of as people sharing stories and dialoguing with one another with grace and, and respect and love. Mm-hmm. Well, Keith, thank you so much. And for those that are looking for Keith, it's Keith, K-E-I-T-H, Houghton, H-A-U-G-H-T-O-N, if you're looking for that. But Keith, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, brother. So much thanks to Keith for hanging out with me for this hour. Um, I really enjoyed getting to know him. And much thanks to you, my audience, for listening to us and being a part of this for this last hour. And, and I want to kind of leave you with some words from Keith's book. Um, and he says this, he says, what troubles will today bring? What about tomorrow? What if I lose someone else? What if I need another heart surgery? What if I still struggle with depression, anxiety, and fear for the rest of my life? What if I'm so consumed by what ifs that I spend my time trapped in the past and lost in a future I have yet to see? What if? And then I remember my time is in God's hands. I listen to the sound of my heart reminding me that I am still alive, and it is good. So as you walk out into this week, I need to remind you to be truthful, to be real, to be honest. Because real community comes from when we are able to share our stories with open hands and open hearts with others, when we are able to share our victories, our defeats, share the good parts about us, but also share the warts and all about us too. But a life is better lived when we live it honestly, realistically with one another. So walk into this week remembering that you are alive, that you are not done, and that there is more 
for you in this journey as you move forward. And I send you off with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. I'm out of here. Catch you guys again next week. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question-askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.